right, let's pray, and then we're going to dive into Romans chapter 3. Father in heaven, I do pray that you would uh, open our eyes to your word. I pray that you would open your word to our hearts. I pray, uh, Lord, that you would say exactly what you want to say tonight. Father, when you are gracious and you speak, uh, oftentimes I am surprised by what comes out of my mouth. And a lot of times people feel like uh, this word is just for them. I pray that would happen tonight. You know our hearts. You know what we need to hear. Would you let us hear it? I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So about 30 years ago, I was in where y'all are sitting right now, and uh, I was a sophomore in college, and I was just about, well, I tried as hard as I could to give up on the whole Christianity thing. I just wanted to ditch it completely. I tried two or three times. I just never could. But basically, what frustrated me was this. I kept trying harder and harder and harder to do everything right. And all I ever found was that I felt worse and worse about myself. I felt like more and more of a disappointment and a failure to God. And I felt more and more alone. I became very, very lonely. Uh, and basically, uh, I, was, I was doing everything I could to give up on this whole thing. And I went and saw my campus minister and... Uh, he was new on campus and new to me, and so we were talking, and I just just vomited my self-pity all over him. And he listened uh, fairly patiently, and uh, he said, well, if I could fix one thing for you, what would you want it to be? And my dad uh, bailed on the family when, we were in, when I was growing up, but now that I was kind of out of the house, you know, he kind of wanted to come back in and pretend like nothing had ever happened. And I was just so mad, and I was mad at him, and I was mad at me because Christians aren't supposed to be mad at people and all this crap. And so I was just really conflicted, and I said, well, I wish you could fix this. And he, uh, he said, well, let me ask you a question. When your dad left, why didn't you go with him? Why didn't you leave? And the question really confused me because I couldn't understand what he meant. Obviously, I'm a good person. I wouldn't, uh, you know, abandon my mom. I didn't understand the question. And he said, what makes you so much better than him? And again, I couldn't understand the question. And he said, well, let's go back over your biography. What are some of the things you told me? You told me growing up that you were the only Christian that you knew. I don't know if you all felt that way in high school, like you were the only Christian you knew. But I felt that way. He said, so what, what made you so much better than them? That drove me crazy. Because um, I knew the Bible well enough to know that the answer had to be grace. But I didn't really believe that. I believe the answer was that I was smarter than them, and I was more spiritual than them, and I was just a better guy than they were. And so I, I just sat there quietly, and he began to unpack... Romans chapter 3 and what it says about my heart and about your heart. And at that point, he unfolded uh, two really enormous bits of news on me. And the first bit of news is, I am a much worse person than I thought I was. 
Sin has affected me much more deeply than I had ever feared or imagined. And conjoined to that piece of news was this incredible piece of news that God's love wasn't earned, that it came in despite my sin, that I was much more loved and had much more hope in Christ than I would have ever dreamed. And those two pieces of news hit me like a thunderbolt and really changed me forever. And I want to try to introduce these pieces of news to you. What, what I want you to see tonight is that this is that your sin has affected you much more deeply than you would have ever feared. And therefore, God's grace is much richer than you would have ever hoped. Let's read, starting with verse 9. Now, when you hear the word Jews, think to yourself... People who grew up in the church. That's the only way it's going to make sense to you. When you hear Greeks, think of immoral people and people who are outside the church. And that's the way it's going to kind of make sense in our culture. That's, that's the way we read that. So listen, uh, let's read the word. What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin, as it is written. None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. In the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. You are much, much more deeply affected, more deeply stained by sin than you would have ever imagined, and you are much more loved than you would have ever hoped. Okay, what I want to do first of all is I want to change the way you think about sin. Typically, if you grew up in the church or if you're spending time in the church, sin is like bad things that you weren't supposed to do. A list of, you know, lying is a sin and stealing is a sin. And you can kind of, in your mind, you can lay in bed at night and go, did I sin today? You know, well, did I lie? Did I, sin? Did I cheat? Did I, you know, and, 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 sin. and that's the kind of way we think of it. We think of it as bad deeds. That's not really the way the Bible talks about it. It does occasionally. If you want to know kind of the tip-off when the Bible talks about sin that way, there's always a, it's always plural. It's sins, the sins of the flesh or that kind of thing. But more often, the Bible talks about sin like a disease or like a power. And really the most effective way to think of it is a disease. Um, it, it comes in and it infects you. And uh, that's how Jesus described it when Jesus was asked, why do you spend so much time around sinners? He said, because sick people need a physician, not people who are well. Uh, and, and this sin called independence is called uh, depravity, if you like uh, theological terms. It's called uh, selfishness, if you like just good old-fashioned terms that, that hit you, or self-orientation. It's all within us, and it is complete. And the, the, to really understand it in this text, you have to under, I, I, I describe it directionally. What Paul says here is that no one is going towards God. Nobody. 
Everybody's going away from him, right? He says there's no one who's righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. So think of it like that. It's directional. Okay? Think of, uh, think of God as Santa Claus. He's on the North Pole, right? Now, when I say that everyone is totally depraved or completely affected by sin, I'm not saying everybody is as awful as they could possibly be. Not everybody's an axe murderer or a, you know, a ruthless dictator. Uh, but everybody is, if God is in the North Pole, everybody's moving south. By nature, you're moving south. You are moving away from Him. You're moving towards yourself. Some people are good, honest great people, and they're born in Sweden, right? They're almost at the North Pole, and they're moving south. Uh, and some people like me are born, like, in Chile. Like, we're down there. we got a lot going against us. A long way from the North Pole. Chile's a fine place, I'm sure. Um, but it's a long way from the North Pole. That's the only point. And I'm moving south. And we're all, we all have our place. What does that mean? I mean, some people, what that means is that sin looks different based on where you were born, how your parents raised you, right? When I, uh, my, my, the first lie I ever told, I remember it very well. My, my sister, I grew up in a, a southern town that still had the remnants of Jim Crow laws. And so what had been the, the black school in my community got turned into the school for the mentally retarded. And my sister was... Um, just uh, developmentally disabled, so she would school there. And when I was three years old, I kind of figured it out, you know, that her school was in the middle of the black part of town. And so I laughed at her, and I used some terrible language and said, you know, Janet goes to, you know, blank school. And she got mad and crying. My mom came in, sat me on the kitchen table, said, what did you say? I said, it's time for Janet to go to school. And she smacked my leg. She said, no, you didn't. What did you say? And I said, Janet goes to a good school. And she smacks my leg. And she said, no, you didn't. What did you say? And eventually I told her the truth, right? I didn't tell a lie again probably for 10 years. Not because I was righteous, but because I had PTSD. It was just pure self-preservation. Like, I was terrified that I would get caught. You know, I, didn't, I never said another racist thing, not because I was, you know, driven by this sense of purity and, and, you know, had a conscience. It was just, I didn't want to get slapped again. Like, what do I need to not do to avoid that? Like, and that's a blessing. I look back on that with great thanks, right? Not everybody had that. But that's not me being righteous. That's just me seeking myself in a different way. I wasn't seeking after God. I was seeking after not being slapped. Let's put it another way. Religion. Y'all are quasi-religious. You're here. There's other places you could be on a Wednesday night, right? Has any of you ever thought to yourself, why do I bother? Have you ever thought to yourself, what have I what has prayer ever done for me? Have you ever thought that? Right, be honest. Just be honest for a second. Anybody ever thought that? Raise your hand. What is that confessing? What's that admitting? Why do you pray? For me. Oh. Well, that's not seeking after God, is it? 
That's seeking after stuff for me. It's just using religion for me. Why did I want to give up on Christianity as a sophomore in college? Because it wasn't helping me. Religion was just another way of me trying to seek after me. It had all the words of going north, going toward of righteousness, but in reality it was just my way of going south toward myself. Sin has affected everything. It's affected all of us. So we all look differently, but we use this phrase total depravity to mean that it has affected every bit of us. Um, to, to go back to this idea of it being a disease, think of HIV, right? Think of someone who's just in the last stages of dying from AIDS. Their body's racked. They've lost incredible weight, They're, you know, down to 40 or 50 pounds lying in a hospital bed, just dehydrating and dying away. Every cell in their body is racked with HIV. And then you compare that to somebody like uh, Magic Johnson, NBA basketball player. Full of health, you know, he, he, beautiful guy, looks great, uh, very healthy. But you know what? Every cell in his body is infected with HIV. Every cell. They look different. They're in completely different stages. But they have the same disease. The disease that's in my heart, that disease to move me towards myself, that disease that makes me, makes me stay with my wife to be, so I can feel good about myself, is that same disease that made my dad leave so he could go find something to make him feel good about himself. That disease it was further developed in him. But we both have the same disease in ourselves. How does it affect us? It affects every part of us. It affects our brains that no one understands. It affects our, uh, our bodies, our, our wills. Our, the throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom, the, the venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Oh, we, we, we misuse everything about ourselves. This sin, this disease, what it does is it makes everything about us corrupted. So that, what? So every part of us is affected. Um, it means our body is affected. We desire things we're not supposed to desire. You know, I mean, we don't wake up craving broccoli. You know, we, we don't go to bed thinking just one more slice of asparagus and I'll be happy. Right? We crave pizza and donuts and uh, sexual immorality and, and pornography and all these things that we know, they, we know they're not good for us, but we crave them. Our body is, is affected. Our intellect is affected. Every pencil I've ever used has an eraser. Every computer has an, a, a delete button because I'm, I'm corrupted. I can use... All the, the, the intellect that God has given me, I can use it to convince you uh, of whatever position you want me to use because the, because the, my, my rationality has no anchor in truth. Isn't this election season just hilarious? It's so funny. It is just so, one, of, one of the things that's really funny, if I, I wish I didn't care about it because then it would be really funny. But it's just really funny to watch well-meaning Christians use every ounce of their intellect to explain why 
the Christian thing to do is to vote for Donald Trump. That's just funny to me. Like, really? And it's funny to see Christians use every ounce of their intellect to explain why it was a compl- it's a complete abandonment of Christianity to vote for Donald Trump. It's just, it's just humorous if it wasn't tragic. We're broken. We're just proving, you're just proving your prejudices nine times out of ten every time you enter into a debate. Nine times out of ten every time. That's funny. That's like a line out of Anchorman, isn't it? Ninety percent of the time it works every time. Ninety percent of the time you enter a debate, you come away already agreeing with what you believed in the first place. We use our intellect to confirm our prejudices. Our emotions are broken. You know, we uh, go to a football game. Wide receiver stretches out. Linebacker cuts him in half. Stout, you know, a hundred thousand people stands up. Yeah, awesome! A human got crushed. The image of God was destroyed right here in front of me. And this is why, you know, we we come here and we sing about the glory of God and uh, pretty good singing. Like what? Our emotions, we don't respond correctly to things. Our every part of us is broken. Our wills are broken. Paul says it the best in Romans 7. The things I ought not to do, things I just keep doing. Things I know that I ought to do, I just never do. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of sin and death? Our actions are broken. Our reactions are broken. Um, it doesn't matter what we're responding to, right? We, our response is self-interest, and it is sinful no matter what we're responding to. It can be that we're responding to uh, good things. I did a survey in my church one day. I did a survey. What was the worst year of your life? Anybody want to guess? Put it in terms of school grades. What do you think was the worst year of life? What? Fifth? Tenth grade. Now, seven, close. Tenth, seventh grade. Seventh grade was the worst, followed closely by sixth. And, uh, you know, the funny thing, we know what happens. Well, was happening in sixth and seventh grade. We're developing our rational capabilities. We weren't, had no empathy. So what happened? Smart kids made fun of dumb kids. Fast kids made fun of slow kids. Made fun of slow kids. Big kids made fun of small kids. Skinny fit kids made fun of fat kids. Everybody who had anything good about them corrupted it and used it to make fun of the people who didn't have that. We're responding sinfully to blessings. When I went to seminary, and the reason I went to the seminary I went to is because when I visited, I got to go listen to chapel, and it was uh, I got to go visit chapel, and a man from Scotland named Ian Wright preached, and he preached on uh, the parable of persistent and persevering prayer. That's pretty good that I remember that. That was in 1992. And um, he uh, it was a great sermon. I just thought, man, if I could go to chapel twice a week and hear sermons like that, I would be such a good I would just be so holy. So I was so excited about it. And I get to seminary, and I'm in the library one day studying Greek, and they come and they shut the library down and make me go to chapel. And the guy goes, you have to go to chapel. And I said, I have to go? He's like, yeah, you had to go to chapel. You're going to make me go? Well, yeah, you got to go to chapel. 
I was so mad that they were going to make me go to chapel that I left. I went to a donut shop and got coffee. I didn't go to chapel again for three, for, for two years. That's stupid. What's that? It's just this sinful pride responding to something good. I mean, I wanted to go to that. But I didn't because they were going to make me. And I was a grown-up. Isn't that awful? Sin, man, it makes us respond badly to good things. It makes us respond badly to bad things. You know, I grew up in a divorced family. Some of you did. That didn't make... You know, it's, it's wrong. My father should not have left me. Your father should not have left you. But that does not make it okay for you to go out and get your self-esteem up. Finding a new boyfriend every six weeks. Or by, uh, by getting sexual conquests. Or trying to control people so that they have to feel good about you. It doesn't mean that it's okay for you to enslave yourself to grades and achievement trying to get approval. That's a sinful response to a sinful, bad thing. We respond simply to good things. We respond simply to bad things. We respond simply to negative, neutral things. How long has it been since you yelled at a traffic light? Like that traffic light was just waiting for you, right? It just saw you coming and slammed on the red. Like, that light's just, I mean, that light's there right now, just blinking, yellow, red green, right? It doesn't care if you're there or not. But you yelled at it. Like, like it was personal. That's, that's our sinful response. That's our sinful response to neutral things. Everything about us. That's what I mean. Total depravity doesn't mean you're as bad as you can possibly be. It just means every part of you is affected. Every cell in your body, every part of you is affected. And that is good news. It is good news. Because what that means is this. It means if we're really like that and God loved us anyway, He must not love us with any expectations of us bringing something to the table. That means He can't be disappointed in us. He doesn't expect anything. He is simply delighted in us. It means we can stop the way... It it means we have to change the way we see Christianity. That the Bible is not a book of rules to kind of show us... The Bible is not here. Jesus did not come to give us help. He came to rescue us. He came to rescue people, not people who needed a second chance, but people who were broken. And He loved us and He wants to put us back together. And that's the beautiful thing. It it changes our view of God. It means we don't have to run away. I want to explain this as clearly as I can. Alright? Look. What the Bible says is this. When you were dead in your trespasses and sins, because of the great love with which God loved you, He made you alive together in Christ. You were already completely... There's nothing about you that He found attractive. He just loved you. And He made you alive. What that means is, no matter how badly you blow it, He can't love you any less. You can't be worse than dead. If He loved you so much that He made you alive when you were dead, 
why would He love you any less now? And that means you can stop hiding from Him. There was a uh, basketball coach at North Carolina named Dean Smith. People think of him as one of the greatest basketball coaches of all time. I'm not so sure. He only won two national championships. That's only two more than I've won, and I've never even tried. Okay, so it just doesn't seem that hard. Nobody ever lost that joke. I've told that joke probably a hundred times. I need to quit telling it. All right, uh, so anyway, Dean Smith's coaching. One of his players, J.R. Smith, J.R. Reed, gets in trouble with the law, disappears from campus for a week. Terrified. Finally, he sneaks into Coach Smith's office one day. Smith hears a knock on the door real light and knock. Opens the door. There's J.R. Smith. Reed. He pulls him in, slams the door, locks it, gets right up in his face, and he says, Why did you run? Didn't you know I'm the only person in this country that could have helped you? I'm the only person that could have helped. If you understand what the Bible says about you, you'll stop running away from God and you'll start running towards Him because He's the only one who can help. He's the only one who can help. What does the text say here at the end? There is no fear of God before their eyes. That's why they run away. There's no fear. Now, it doesn't make sense, really, when you think of fear as like terror. But when you see fear as... If there is no fear of God before your eyes, then you don't believe He exists. But there's this beautiful passage in, in Psalm, Psalm 40. Psalm 40 says, But you forgive sins, therefore you are feared. Because He is the source of forgiveness. He's the only one that can help us. And because He's the only one that can help us, and because we are so broken, we run towards Him because He's the only one who can help. He's, he, he, we run towards Him because He's not disappointed in us. He is not wondering why we didn't do a better job. It changes our view of our work. You know, it means... It means that God is just so thankful that you're here. He's really excited that you would take time out of your week to come and hear the Bible. He's, he's just happy with you. It's kind of like coming home. I used to come home with my boys. would try to clean the kitchen. I'd give them a little extra money if they cleaned the kitchen so Bianca wouldn't have to clean it when we got home. So they would just, what they would do is they'd take these dirty dishes, that dish rags, and they would wipe the crumbs off the table and onto the floor. And so now instead of wiping the table correctly, I've got to sweep and mop the floor. And they would take these dirty plates and throw them in the dishwasher and food would get down to the bottom of the dishwasher. So now I've got to take all the dishes out of the dishwasher, rinse them, get all the food out of the bottom of the dishwasher, throw it away, and then reload. They didn't help. They made my job harder. All they did was make, make more work for me. And how do you respond when a parent sees that? You yell at them. Of course not. You hug them and say, thanks, man. Thank you for making work for me. Because your expectations aren't big. Because you're just delighted that they tried. None of you, you know, back when I was at RUF, the number one uh, testimony I heard more than the other was I went to RUF to find a girl and ended up getting, finding Jesus. That's fine. Nobody's here with pure motives. And you know what? Jesus doesn't care. He's just glad you're here. He's just, he's just he is so glad you're here. He's the only one who can help. 
And what would it look like if we believed that about ourselves? It would mean that we'd be free. We'd be free to ask for help. We don't have to pretend to have it all together anymore. You'd be free when someone's sharing a problem with you or when you're sharing your heart with someone else. Instead of feeling like that, that I have to jump in and fix it for you, you'd be free to show some empathy and say, man, that sucks. I've been there before. It really hurts. And, and you let the power of empathy create a relationship instead of giving somebody quick advice to fix it. And it would mean that you would begin to enjoy God instead of being afraid of Him all the time. Because He's just glad you're here. He knows you're broken. He knows your brokenness profoundly more deeply than you do. He gave His Son to die for your brokenness. It's a lot deeper than you think. But He did it gladly. Because He wants to be with you. Don't run away from Him. He's the only one who can help. Please pray with me.